Amen. And I invite you this Lord's Day to turn in your copy of God's Word to the 12th chapter of Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke chapter 12, where we continue on this Christmas Eve to study through Luke's Gospel. If you've been with us, then you know that the last time we gathered, we looked at Jesus' instruction to his disciples to be ready. We're at a point now in Luke's Gospel and Jesus' ministry where he has ministered for some time to the masses, to his disciples. He has set his face towards Jerusalem, and now as he is on that journey, there is great animosity. Uh, there are religious leaders who are seeking to put him to death, and he is preparing his disciples uh, that it will not be an easy road to follow him. And so he has called them not only to prepare for his return, but between now and when he returns for they and all who will follow Jesus to prepare for division, to prepare for what comes when you decide to set out and to follow Jesus and others do not. And so that's where we're going to pick up this Lord's Day in Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. And out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. And this is what our Lord Jesus says. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate? Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. If you would pray with me. Father, as we come to your word on this Christmas Eve, this fourth Sunday of Advent, this, this time that we and the church sets apart each year to, to count down the days to look back, to look back to the coming of Christ, to look back to the incarnation, and Lord, to look ahead to the return of Christ. I pray that you might help us on this day, in this time when our minds can be so filled with the events of the day, the, the gatherings to come, the, the presents that still need to be purchased or wrapped. Lord, help us to consider 
the greatest gift that we can ever receive, the gift of Christ as Lord. Uh, help us to understand, Lord, what that means. And Lord, help us during a season when we worship Jesus, the Prince of Peace, when we say to others, peace on earth, to help us, Lord, that we might understand what Jesus means here when he says he did not come to bring peace on earth. We ask for your guidance in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, Merry Christmas Eve. I'm so thankful that you've gathered with us today. If you're a guest that's come with family this morning, we're, we're very thankful to have you with us. And as is uh, my tradition some years, I have a, a collection in my study of letters that children have written over the years that have appeared in local papers, just like they appear these days in local papers, letters where children are, are writing to Santa and giving their wish list. I, I found it interesting to go back, though, and to read what those were some years ago. And so I'm going to read a few for you this morning from the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Uh, this one uh, came from a child named Donald in Hawaii in 1901. He said this, Dear Santa, sometimes I'm naughty, but if you will excuse me, I'll try to do much better. Please send me a box of turtles. Donald. Another letter from Edward in Missouri in 1898, he, he wrote this, Dear Santa, I have twin sisters and twin brothers. Don't send us any more babies. But please send me a gun to kill wolves. Your friend Edward. And then Caramay from South Carolina in 1908 wrote this, Dear Santa, please bring me a doll. And don't bring Eleanor anything. She took my money and threw it in a coal scuttle. Caramay. Then in Virginia, Garrett Thompson wrote this in 1901. Uh, Dear Santa, I've got a mean teacher at school, and I would like to have a pony to take her out riding and make the pony run away and dump her. And that would be the last I'd see of her. Goodbye. I'm your little girl, Garnett. And then Kentucky, a boy named Claude Hardin and 1891 wrote this, Dear Santa, I would like a bank. I've got a dollar and 60 cent, and Papa owes me $8. And he says he will pay it as soon as he sells his dog, which in 1891, that must have been some dog to fetch $8. You can read through this list and others, and, and most of them ask for uh, some simple things, some not so simple things, a gun to kill wolves, but uh, most of them, kids want a, a doll or candy or, or marbles and and today, you know, some still want dolls and games, but the games have become a bit more complex. <laughs> Today's games often require some type of high-definition screen or virtual reality goggles. <laughs> Things have gotten a bit more complicated. And it's not just in Christmas lists. Things have gotten complicated in our schedules as well. They don't call it the holiday rush for no reason. And we find ourselves this time of year and perhaps on this very day rushing. We, we rush to events at schools. We, we rush to gatherings at home. We, we rush to celebrations. We, we rush out to buy gifts. In fact, I read this recently. 62% of Americans wait to buy gifts until the week before Christmas. And then 54% don't like something they receive for Christmas. So think about that. 
Over half of us will run around like crazy to buy something in the last few days, perhaps even today, and chances are, whoever we give it to, 54% of them probably won't like it anyways. And yet, what do we do? We keep rushing, and we keep running, and we keep up that hectic pace. And every time, uh, every year, this time comes around, and we find ourselves saying, you know, it was so hectic this year, I'm going to do this different next year, and this different, and yet, we go right back to the rush, and right back to the busy. And so it's important that on days like today, on this Lord's Day, which in God's providence falls on this Christmas Eve, that we pause from rushing that we take a break from running, and that we stop and consider the words that were proclaimed some 2,000 years ago to a group of shepherds on a hillside as an angel and a, a herald, a choir, a heavenly choir, said to them, and I'll read it to you, Luke chapter 2, and in the same region there were shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. We see that phrase, that expression on Christmas displays. You've likely seen it in your mailbox on a Christmas card. We, we sing it. In Christmas carols and, and Advent hymns, we, we say it because we associate it with Jesus, who indeed is our Prince of Peace. And yet, as we come to our passage this morning, which may not seem like much of an Advent passage, we find Jesus saying, as the Prince of Peace, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. How do we reconcile these things? How do we reconcile Jesus, who indeed is our Prince of Peace, who indeed does bring peace on earth? How do we reconcile him then saying to those who are following him that he has come not to bring peace, but to bring division? Well, that's what I want us to consider on this fourth Sunday of Advent, and we'll consider it by this first observation you see there in your outline, and where we see this division come. Number one, if you turn to Jesus, others will turn away from you. If you turn to Jesus, others will turn away from you. That, that is the context here. But remember, Jesus, in his teaching, in this section of Luke 12, he has been followed out of a gathering for a meal with a group of Pharisees to the town by literally thousands of people to the point they are trampling one another to get closer to Jesus, to hear what he has to say, to experience his miracle-working power. And in that context of the thousands, Luke tells us that there's times when he teaches the thousands, and then there's other times when he turns to his disciples. 
and he's teaching them. And that is what's happening here. He is looking to his disciples, and he has just got done telling them that they need not fear those who will kill the body, but fear the one who will kill the soul. He is saying this because the Pharisees are plotting to kill Jesus. And there will be others who will plot to kill the disciples. And yet Jesus says to them, you do not need to fear. And yet, while you do not need to fear, you do need to be prepared. Because there is not just peace that comes when you follow Christ. There is division that comes. You have peace with God through Jesus. But because you have peace with God through Jesus, because you've been set apart by Jesus, because your allegiance is now to Jesus, Jesus says that will bring division. And he talks here about a divided house. <laughs> now, now, when we talk about a divided house, uh, we use that phrase to describe things like, you know, some of the folks in your home are, are Kentucky fans and some are Louisville fans. Well, we use that phrase to describe different allegiances you have to things that aren't as important and as vital as what we see Jesus saying here. Because when he talks about a house divided, he's talking about a division that is severe and a division that comes because one has made an allegiance to Jesus Christ. And we know historically that the early church in the first century brought this type of division to homes. And just one of those reasons is because this context, this, this place in the first century, in the first century Roman Empire, was a place that had hundreds of gods and goddesses that were worshipped. And in homes, oftentimes, the god or goddess that was worshipped had something to do with your profession or trade. And so, for example, we know that many of Jesus' followers among these disciples had been fishermen. And if you grew up in the home of a fisherman in an area like this, and you had either a Roman or a Greek background, or you were in this area surrounded by that, then you were worshiping one of these false gods. If you were worshiping the Roman god of the sea, you were worshiping Neptune. If you were worshiping the Greek god of the sea, you were worshiping Poseidon. And what that meant was before you would go out on a journey to go out and go fishing with your father and your brothers and the crews that would get on that ship, you would first go to the market and you would buy these little trinkets and idols that would be made in the image of Neptune or Poseidon. You would put them on your boat. You would attach them to your nets. You would likely have a feast on an annual basis celebrating and worshiping Poseidon or Neptune. You would make sacrifices to them. But then, when someone came to Christ, their allegiance was now to the one true God. Then, when they came to be a follower of Jesus Christ, they could no longer participate in these godless activities. They could no longer gather in the marketplace and buy these trinkets. They could no longer gather for these celebrations. And so imagine what it would have been in a home where you had perhaps just one follower of Jesus, one who had come to faith in Christ. And they refuse to participate in any of this. And yet they go out on that boat the next day and they go out to sea. And when they go out to sea, no one catches anything in their boat. And then they return to the harbor to find that, that all these others, all that participated in all these wicked celebrations, their, their boats were full of fish. What do you think that father and his brothers are going to do? Who do you think they're going to blame for their drought that day? They're going to look to this follower of the way, that this follower of this rabbi 
And they're going to look to him and say that this is why this misfortune has come upon you. Now, you multiply that in every area of life, and you start to get a glimpse of what Jesus is saying here when he says that homes are going to be divided. That this is not just about different political views or, or different sports allegiances. That this is about someone's livelihood. That this is about merchants in the market complaining that people weren't buying their trinkets anymore. This is about these traveling groups that would come through and set up these festivals, and yet they would come into towns where people had come to faith in Christ, and they're not as prosperous anymore, and they're complaining. And from this, we know historically, there would even be riots that would take place. Jesus says that if you truly turn to him, others are going to turn away from you. And it's not just what we saw in the first century church. It's what we see in the church around the world today. As many of you know, we have partnerships around the world. One of those partnerships is in West Africa. And I and others have had opportunities to go there. And as we've gone there, we've met believers who are the only Christians in their families. I've spent time with a man named Abraham. And Abraham was one of the first believers in a town of Aru. Aru was a village, is a village where there had been no Christian witness for centuries. And the missionaries went there, they began to share the gospel, and Abraham was one of the first to place his faith in Jesus. But in this predominantly Muslim community, when he put his faith in Jesus, it literally cost him everything. He would go to the market to sell his goods, and now because he was a follower of Jesus, no one would buy anything from him anymore. And he and his wife and his family, they suffered. When she got sick, no one would give her medical care. When she passed away, they wouldn't allow her to be buried in the town cemetery. Abraham knew what it was to experience a house divided and a town divided because he had put his faith in Jesus. But he continued to be faithful. And in the midst of being faithful, he continued to share the gospel. And he shared the gospel with one of his friends, a man named Buba. Buba came from one of the most prominent families in that community. In fact, one of the ways status and wealth is known in this West Africa community is that you were able then to marry multiple wives. And Buba was about to marry his second wife when he became a Christian. But as soon as he became a Christian, the missionary sat down and opened up God's word to him and explained that this was not God's plan and God's way. And immediately he broke off that engagement because of his faith in Christ. And this made him an outcast in his family who at that point would no longer speak to him, no longer associate with him. And then after years went by, they finally invited him back home for a family gathering only to tell him that he had to go outside and eat the animals' food and eat with the animals because he meant nothing more to them than one of their animals. You and I have likely not had any experiences like this, but this is what Jesus is telling us to prepare for. This is what Jesus is telling us to ready ourselves for because he's telling us that when we truly swear our allegiance to Christ, then we are breaking off our allegiance with the world. And friends, even in our context and culture today, that makes us stand out and that makes others uncomfortable around us because many do not have this allegiance to Jesus Christ. In fact, Christ himself tells us that, that we enter by a narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
And so as Jesus stands in this crowd of thousands and talks to the few that are following him, it is a reminder to us that many, even today, will not follow him for a number of reasons. But one that I want to point out to you this morning, the second observation there before you, is that many do not turn to Jesus because they see no need. They see no need. And so now Luke tells us in this passage that Jesus goes from addressing his disciples, and he specifically tells us in this verse 54, he also said to the crowds. Now remember, among the crowds are a lot of these religious leaders. Among the crowds are a lot of these Pharisees. He, he started out this chapter saying that these Pharisees were hypocrites. And to be careful of them, a, a hypocrite is one who pretends to be one thing. They, they wear a mask when in reality they're something else. Hey, he says this of the Pharisees because they had the appearance of religion, but their hearts were cold to the gospel of Jesus. And so it's in this context then that he turns to these crowds and says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And so it happens. Again, you've got to remember the context here. Uh, Jesus is in a community, and he is among a people who most of them, their professions and their trades, were dependent on an ability to understand weather patterns, to understand if the weather was going to be rough at sea, so they would not go out to sea. And this is something that is carried on through generations. That's why we have sayings like, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. We look to the sky, and we can tell things about the weather. And so there's no weather channel. <laughs> there's no apps to look at. And yet it seems that in their day, they were more accurate than a lot of our meteorologists today. <laughs> because Jesus says, you say a storm's coming, it happens. You say there's going to be scorching heat, it happens. He's saying to them, you know how to look at these weather patterns and tell what's coming. Now, why does Jesus go? from saying to his disciples, if you truly follow me, your homes are going to be divided, and then turn to the crowds and say, hey, you're, you're really good at predicting the weather. What's the connection there? Well, he makes it in verse 56. He says, you hypocrites. Now, now that phrase alone should call our attention back to the Pharisees. Because in this chapter, that's exactly, again, how Jesus has referred to the Pharisees. In this context of teaching this large crowd and the disciples, he has said, watch out the leaven of the Pharisees, which is the sin of the Pharisees, which is their hypocrisy. And now he says, you hypocrites. And so I think specifically, Jesus is talking to those in the crowds that he was talking of earlier. He's talking of these religious leaders. He's talking of those who he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret this present time? Now, you've got to remember, Pharisees were experts in the law, the law of God. The Pharisees were among those who should have known better than anyone what the word of God taught prophetically about the coming Messiah. The Pharisees should have been the first among those who understood that Jesus had fulfilled this prophecy, that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And yet it is the Pharisees that we see who are among the first to reject Jesus. 
And Jesus is looking to them and saying, well, isn't that something? You can look outside at a cloud and you can tell me what the weather is going to be tomorrow. You can look outside at the sky and you can tell me weather patterns, but you cannot look to the Son of Man who is indeed the Word of God Himself and understand that He is the Word of God Himself. You are the ones who should be able to look to these things and see, and yet you cannot. You're ignorant of it. And I believe, friends, that this is true of so many of us today. So many who, like the Pharisees, are confronted with the gospel of Jesus, and yet do not embrace the gospel of Jesus because they see no need to. And some see no need simply because they, they don't see the need to do it yet. And perhaps some of you this morning, you have heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You, you have come to, to worship with your family and friends this morning. You, you know what the gospel teaches. And yet, in your heart, there is sin and in your heart, there is rebellion. And in your heart, there is not a desire to embrace Christ as Lord because you do not want to let go of things of this world. You want to have one foot in and you want to have one foot out. And perhaps in thinking that, you're thinking, there'll come a day later in my life when I'll put my trust in Jesus. I'll settle things with Jesus later on. I'll wait until I've done all this stuff I want to do and I've gotten the most out of life and then I'll get serious about my faith. Jesus says to us, we need to be careful. In fact, Jesus says we need to be warned because the word of God says nothing about waiting to trust in Christ. The word of God says nothing about putting off our decision to trust in Christ. The Word of God says everything about turning to God and turning to Christ while we have an opportunity today. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Emmanuel, God with us. God has come. God is dear that we might know him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And the psalmist in Psalm 95 says, Today, not tomorrow, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Friends, the good news of the gospel on this Christmas Eve is that God may be found because God has come to us. God did not send us a road map and say if we would go on a great spiritual journey or Mecca, one day he might be found. God did not say, here's a list of rules, and if you follow this list of rules perfectly, that then one day you might achieve some type of nirvana, you might achieve some type of peace, that then you might be at bliss with me. And what God has said to us is very clear. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And that if we will confess Jesus is our Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And yet so many today are not saved because they do not see their need. 
And so the question for us on this Christmas Eve morn is this. The third observation before you. Do you see your need? And have you indeed turned to Jesus? Jesus illustrates, I believe, the, the point that he's making at the latter part of this passage, at the end of this chapter, by saying to us, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Now, at casual glance, again, this is one of those things where it seems like, okay, Jesus, well, why do you go from telling your disciples they're going to be in divided homes if they truly follow you to confronting people about their ability to interpret the weather and yet not interpret prophecies related to you? And now you're talking about somebody going before a judge and somebody settling so that they don't go to prison. Well, I believe that the context is this. Jesus is giving an illustration about a common experience in his day, and the common experience was that people were indebted to others. And in this context, in this time, when you were indebted to someone and you did not pay your debt, then you could be thrown into debtor's prison until your debt was paid. And in order for that to happen, the person that you owed money to would have to take you before a judge, and then that judge would have to sentence you to put you in prison, and then a structure would have to be designed and made that you might pay that person back so that one day you could get out of prison and you would not get out of prison until every last penny was paid. And notice what Jesus says here. He says, imagine that's you, and you're in that context, and you're in debt, and you don't have a case. <laughs> If you go before that judge, that judge is going to throw you into prison and you're going to stay in that prison until every last cent is paid. And now imagine this. Imagine that debt is so great and so overwhelming that you cannot pay. it. You will never get out of that prison and you will never escape the suffering of it. I believe what Jesus is pointing us to here is the reality that you and I are in debt. Except our debt's not to a bank, our debt's not to a credit card company, our debt's to God. Because we have all sinned. And that sin has indebted us to the righteous one, the righteous judge. And if we ever stand before that judge in our indebtedness, we will not get out until every last penny is paid, and we will never pay what we owe. And we will spend eternity in that prison that the scripture refers to as hell. But Jesus offers us a better way because he suggests in this illustration that if we're wise, if we take heed to his words, then we will settle with our accuser before we're put before the judge. Well, how might we settle with our accuser? The, the, the word that Luke gives us here for settle is a word that we can translate as to be set free. How might we be set free from our debt of sin that is owed to our righteous judge, to our God? And friends, the answer is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ that just before he died, 
He said, it is finished. That phrase can be translated, it is fully paid. And Jesus here, I believe, looking towards the cross, is saying to those around him and is saying to us today, that friends, we don't need to go through another Advent season indebted to God. That we don't need to fear standing before a holy and righteous judge. That we can actually settle with our accuser, and that settlement comes through putting our trust in Jesus Christ. The one that we celebrate some 2,000 years ago as being born of a virgin, living a sinless and perfect life, going to the cross for me and for you, dying on that cross, being buried in a tomb, but three days later, the tomb was empty because he had conquered sin and death and he was raised from the dead. He ascended to the Father and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us even on this day. And the good news of the gospel on this Christmas Eve morning is that if you will settle with your accuser, if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you might receive the greatest gift that you can ever receive, salvation through Christ. And it's available for you today. The question is, are you ready to settle? <laughs> because today indeed is the day of salvation. And I pray it will be that for you. If you would pray to that end, 